this morning and want to follow along, we are in Revelation chapter 19. Things are getting good. Happy birthday to Francis back there. Young man, Francis Lacko, good. good to have you celebrating your birthday with us today. Thanks, Terry, for giving me the tip-off. Okay. Well, we, you know, we have been going through the book of Revelation now for several months, and we are finally to the good stuff. Okay. I mean, we've just been, been, you know, going through the judgments that are coming and the horrendous things that are happening on planet Earth, but now the Lord is returning, and this is really good. Revelation chapter 19, starting at verse 1. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servant shed by her. Again they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from, his, from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Oh, get ready for that. Okay? Get ready for that. Man, you, you talk about our future, and our future is so stinking bright. We need sunglasses. For it. We don't need sunglasses. For it. We need like a welding hood because the future is incredibly bright for you, even if you're not cool. Even if you're funky. The future's bright for you too. Okay? <laughs> and, and sometimes when we're... When we're in the midst of our struggles and in the midst of problems, we think, oh, God, is it ever going to get better? We are reading about how good it gets, all right? And, and when it comes to worship, um, you know, you may be one of those people that are kind of reserved, and it's kind of like, you know, a, a stretch for you is kind of doing the half-mass worship. You know, okay, I can do that. Um, when you get to heaven, we are not even going to recognize you. You're going to be crazy. You're going to be a crazy worshiper. And, and the cool thing is, here we're told, that he says, I heard as it were, were the voice of a multitude, as a sound of many waters, a sound of many thunderings, all saying the same thing, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And, and trust me, when you get to heaven and it's that loud, you have a new glorified body, which means what? Which means your ears will never hurt. Okay, in case you're thinking, I need to smuggle some, some earplugs into heaven, eh, leave them here. You're not going to need it, Okay. And verse 7 goes on, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And so the marriage of the Lamb is coming. Let me just remind you a couple things. Uh, you know, we talk about this every once in a great while. But uh, just to kind of refresh your memory regarding the Hebrew wedding, because there's so many things that Jesus said that dovetail in with the Hebrew wedding. Now, the Hebrew wedding had three phases. There was the betrothal. In other words, when you got engaged. Now, the engagement wasn't just kind of like, hey, we're planning on getting married someday, and so we're engaged. And if we decide to break it off, I give them the ring back, and it's called off. In fact, when, uh, when, when Joseph and Mary were not married, they were engaged. They were betrothed when she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph wanted to put her away quietly. And when it talks about putting her away, you, in order to break off the engagement, 
you had to get divorced. That's how strong it was. Okay, so it wasn't just kind of this, this trial period, and I, I, I think, you know, I, I, we're promised to each other, and now we're engaged. No, when you were betrothed, that was it. Now, some things happened during the time of betrothal. First of all, um, there had to be an agreement, and the agreement was usually reached with the father. So if you, if you were a guy and you saw some gal that just rang your bell, you'd say, Dad, I saw this girl in the marketplace today, and this is her name. Can you talk to her dad? And, you know, your dad go talk to her dad, and they'd talk about it, they'd discuss it. Don't you wish that was still that way, parents? Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, you date who I tell you to date, nobody else. And so, so when, when, the, when the betrothal happened, you would, they would actually sit down. So both the fathers would be there and the, the future bride and groom would be there. And there was a cup there, and they both drank out of the same cup, and they agreed to become married. Now, from that point on, they were betrothed. And what would take place now is the son would return back to his father's house, and he would prepare a place for his bride. He would either add on to the family house or he would build a house for her. And while he was gone, she had to be waiting and be ready whenever he came. Okay, so her, her duty was to hang out and to be ready. In fact, there's several, several stories that Jesus told. That the parable of the, of the uh, bridesmaid, of the, the ones that had, some had oil in their, in their vessels, some didn't. That's all, that's all typical of this, Okay. Because they would be betrothed, so they would be engaged, and this engagement would go on while the young man prepared a place for his bride. Now, you can imagine if you're a young man and you're dying to get married, you're going to go slap something up. You know, I'm going to go buy a prefab place over here, plummet, and we're good. Come on over, baby. And, uh, of course, the father was the one who had the final say and gave his final approval and said to his son, okay, you can go and get her. And it brings us to the second stage, which is a stage of presentation. At the stage of presentation, this is what would happen. The groom and the best man and his groomsmen would go to the bride's town. The groom would not go into the town. He would yell with a shout. And so he would give this shout, and the groom would, or the, the, uh, the um, um, best man and the attendants the groomsmen would then go into the town and would go to the bride's house and would get her. Now, guess what? Not only do we have the bride in her house, but we also have all of the attendants. All of her attendants are living there with the bride. So I'm sure the father of that bride was over helping the young man build the house. Okay, come on, get this done. I can't stand this anymore. We don't have a restroom. Okay? <laughs> and so the... Uh, the, and in the parable of the, of the, uh, the ten virgins, that's, that's the story, that these are, are the attendants. The bridegroom's call was given. The, uh, the best man came to get the bride. They went out to meet him, and that's what would happen. So the, the bridegroom gives a shout. The uh, best man goes into town, takes the guys with, with him, and gathers up the girls and brings them to the... Um, the groom, they would then, and this usually took place in the middle of the night, and that's what was so exciting about it, because you had no idea when it was going to happen. So if you were the bride, you always had to look good, okay? You, you know, retouch up the makeup before you lay down in bed, because you don't know this could be the night. And so uh, when, when they, would, they would come and, and get the bride and get the attendants, and they would meet the bridegroom outside, they would go back to the, the bridegroom's home, and they would then have a seven Day party, okay? This was the, the, the presentation on the presentation of the bride, and this would last for seven days. And then the third step was there was a ceremony. There was the, the exchange of the vows and the consummation of the marriage. And, and for the, 
the church, we also see those three phases for the church, that there's the betrothal, which is right now. Okay, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, for I betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And then there's secondly, there's the presentation, because Jesus said in John the 14th chapter, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. And 2 Thessalonians also talks about the Lord, the bridegroom, descending from heaven with a shout, the trumpet of God, the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ rising first. We who are alive and remain are caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Same, same idea here. And then there's a ceremony, and, and what we're reading here is a ceremony, Revelation 19.7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the, the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Verse 8 continues. And to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Now, there seems to be a distinction here between, uh, between different groups of saints, okay? Uh, we know about the 144,000. For the 144,000, um, these are ones, according to Revelation 14.4, who will follow the Lamb wherever he goes. So wherever Jesus is, you will find that 144,000, kind of his entourage with him all the time. And then there are those who are saved out of the tribulation period, people that got saved after the rapture of the church, and actually paid for their faith with their lives. And we're told in Revelation 7.15 that they are always before the throne of God and serve day and night in his temple. So they are, they are inside the temple. They are working in that area. And then there's the Old Testament saints, and we kind of get an idea from something John the Baptist said. And you remember that, that John the Baptist had baptized Jesus, and then the Jews came to, to John and said, you remember that man that you baptized, your disciple? He's now making disciples on his own. He's gone out on his own, and all men are coming to him. And John said, I'm not, I'm not threatened by that, okay? He understood the concept that, that I must decrease, but he must increase. And he made the statement in John 3, 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly, because of the bridegroom's voice, therefore this joy of mine is fulfilled. So John, as an Old Testament saint, really the last Old Testament prophet, is saying, I'm just a friend of the bridegroom, okay? He who has the bride is the bridegroom. I'm not part of the bride, but I'm one of his friends, okay? And therefore we rejoice. So we kind of see that, that different saints will have different relationships in, in, in that time. Verse 10, and I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, John is so moved by everything he's seen and by this one who says, you know, write this down, and, and he falls at his feet to worship him. He says, well, what are you doing? Okay? This, this individual is just a redeemed person, obviously a Jew, because he mentions I'm of your brethren, obviously a completed Jew, one who believes in Jesus, because he mentions there that I have the testimony of Jesus. In other words, there's nothing special about me. And so you can kind of see John here taken up by the, the glow this guy had, the glory that this individual had, and he, and he bows down to worship him, and he says, hey, this is normal up here. Okay? I'm nothing special. Worship God. And... <clears throat> 
the one that, that's speaking to John, again, is obviously Jewish, obviously one of his brethren, obviously one who has accepted Christ because he has the testimony of Jesus. And it's really a fulfillment of, of what John, or what, pardon me, what Paul talks about in the second chapter, in 2 Thessalonians, pardon me, I'll get it right here, in 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, where he says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of God. And I love this picture that John gives us, or that Paul gives us. He said, it's kind of like you're looking in a mirror, but it's not a clear mirror, it's, it's kind of a dark mirror, and yet it's getting clearer and clearer as time goes on, and we realize that we are being transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of God, and that one day we're going to be that full face-to-face glory. It's what John talks about in 1 John 3, 2, when he says, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And this is a good example. Here's this guy that, that John is ready to bow down and worship because he's like Jesus, okay? He has glory like Jesus. We will have that same kind of glory. And then he also mentioned the fact that the message of prophecy is all about Jesus, Any prophetic words are all about Jesus. Everything is all about Jesus. Remember when Jesus was on earth? Well, who would you talk about? He talked about the Father. Constantly talking about the Father. The Holy Spirit has come. Who's the Holy Spirit talking about? He's talking about the Son. And when the word of the Lord comes, it's always about Jesus. Because Jesus really is the heart of everything. Look at John, the fifth chapter, the 39th verse. Jesus said to the Jews, you search the scripture, for in them you think that you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. In Luke 24, 27, when Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples, it says, in beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. So he began at Genesis and went through the prophets, explaining that it was important for the Messiah to suffer and explained that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Luke, or pardon me, John, the fifth chapter, 46 verse, Jesus said, for if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me, okay? Everything the Holy Spirit speaks is about Jesus. Look at John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. He's going to speak about Jesus. So you'll never hear the Holy Spirit saying, I'm the Holy Spirit and and you need to follow me. He says, follow Jesus, He is always exalting Jesus, always speaking about Jesus. So the book of Revelation is what? The revelation of who? Jesus Christ. Okay? The revelation of Jesus Christ. And here is another section of the revelation. Look at verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. Remember, we learned that back in the third chapter. Come back to, to Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from, God, from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Remember, we talked about that, and we talked about there are tattoos in heaven. Okay? And you're going to get one. You're actually getting three of them. Okay? You're getting a tattoo that has the name of God, the name of the new Jerusalem, and Jesus' new name. So you may think tattoos are corny here. They're going to be hot in heaven, just for the record. Okay? And they don't sag and they don't fade. Woo, yeah. 
I, I see all these colorful ones today. I'm thinking, man, I'd like to see that 20 years from now. That's a nice tattoo. <laughs> kind of goes all the way down the leg now. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Verse 13. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And we know that name, right, from John, the first chapter, Gospel of John, when John began, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, and he talks about the same was in the beginning with God, and without him was nothing made that was made, and he goes on to explain that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John goes on to say, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him, but to as many as did receive him, to them he gave the power, the authority the right to become the sons of God, the children of God. And so, you know, we recognize that term. He's called the Word of God. We know who that is. And it mentions here that his clothing is dipped in blood. And and Isaiah 63 explains that one to us. Isaiah 63, verse 2. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? The response, I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. And notice notice what verse 4 says. It talks about the year of my redeemed has come, and it's also the day of vengeance. Now look at verse 14. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now, who are these people, white and clean? Well, we just read about the bride, didn't we, back in verse 8? And to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So now the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, sounds familiar, right? Followed on white horses. So this group that is clothed in fine linen, white and clean, um, could be comprised of the church, of the tribulation saints, of the Old Testament believers, and even angels. But I want you to notice one thing. They are not armed. They are the army of heaven, and they don't have a sword or a spear or a javelin or a bow and arrow or a shield. Okay? Why? Verse 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great, because the armies of the world are no match for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the armies of God, okay? And in verse 19, the battle of Armageddon described for us right here. And I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. They actually think that they're going to make a stand here and that with all their their firepower and all their might and all their strength, they are going to resist Jesus coming back to earth and establishing his kingdom. And we only have one weapon on our side, his word, his word. 
Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Now the Antichrist and the false prophet are banished to the lake of fire, which, uh, remember what uh, Matthew 25, 41 taught us, was originally created not for anyone but the devil and his angels. Look, and then he will say to those on his left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for who? Prepared for the devil, small d, and his angels. Okay? So here's what happens to the rest of those who sided with the Antichrist, verse 21, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with, the, with their flesh. So all these vultures are invited to come and dine, okay? Because there's going to be this great slaughter, and this great slaughter comes when these armies of the world unite themselves against the coming of the Lord, and the Lord simply speaks the word and destroys them. <clears throat> now in the 18th chapter, we were reading about a group of people that were weeping over the destruction of Babylon. In the 19th chapter, we are reading about a group of people who are rejoicing greatly, who are saying things like, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent. The word omnipotent means all-powerful. The Lord God omnipotent reigns. We have a group weeping because they can no longer make money off of Babylon. They can no longer make money from their, from their trading. They can no longer make money from merchandise. They can no longer trade in, the, in, in all the ways that they've traded in the world. And they are now broke. And they are weeping in their poverty. They're weeping over what they've lost. And in contrast to that, we have a group that is rejoicing. Okay? And the real question today comes down to this. To which group do you belong? Okay? And are you one who's going to weep or rejoice? Because one of the things we talked about last week regarding the, the kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of the Antichrist, is the fact that all the kingdoms of this world are temporary kingdoms. None of it lasts forever. Okay? No kingdom lasts forever. Nothing you have is going to last forever. You know, Peter talked about the fact that one day all, all of this is going to melt with a fervent heat. It's all going to burn, baby. And then... What, where's that stuff that you put your hope in? Where's that stuff you put your trust in? And in fact, let me, let me draw some conclusions here. Let me tell you about your future if you belong to the temporary kingdom. If you belong to this world, here's your future. You will have everlasting punishment. Matthew 25, 46 says this. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You will have everlasting destruction. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You will experience everlasting fire. Matthew 18.8 says, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. You will have everlasting reproach and shame. Jeremiah 23, verse 40 says, and I will bring an everlasting reproach upon you and a perpetual shame which shall not be forgotten. That's your future. 
If you buy into the kingdom of this world and, and your allegiances to the kingdom of this world, that, that's your future. That, and that's your eternal future. Now, let me tell you about your future. If you belong to the kingdom that is eternal, fasten your seatbelts. You, first of all, have an everlasting covenant, an everlasting agreement with God that he will never break. Isaiah 61 verse 8 says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth and will make with them an everlasting covenant. Not only that, but you have an everlasting foundation. Proverbs 10.25 says, When the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. Remember the story Jesus told about the, the two builders? One built on the sand, one built on the rock. Okay? One had a foundation, one didn't have a foundation. You will have everlasting consolation. Second Thessalonians, the second chapter, the 16th verse, says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation, everlasting comfort and encouragement and good hope by grace. You will have everlasting salvation. It's not good for a thousand years or for a million years. It is everlasting. Isaiah 45 verse 17 says, But Israel shall be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed or disgraced forever and ever. You will have everlasting light. That's why you need the glasses. Okay? Isaiah 60, 20 says, Your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. And you will have everlasting mercy. Psalm 103, verse 17, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. You will experience everlasting kindness. Isaiah 54, verse 8, with a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. You will have double honor. Isaiah 61, verse 7, says instead of your shame, you shall have double honor, and instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. Not only that, but you are going to never get worn out again because you are going to have everlasting strength. Isaiah 26, verse 4 says, Trust in the Lord forever, for Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. Not only will you have everlasting strength, you will have joy that will never end. Isaiah 51, 11 says, So the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing and everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And you will experience everlasting love. Jeremiah 31, 3, The Lord has, has appeared to me of old saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I I have drawn you. You are part of a temporary kingdom or you are part of an eternal kingdom and whichever part, whichever kingdom you belong to, you have a destiny and a future with it. And that's why you want to make sure that you belong to the right kingdom. The kingdom that has a future. The people that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 13, 43 and says, then the righteous shall shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. That's it, okay? Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Hallelujah. 
for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And we belong to the right kingdom. Father, today we thank you for this amazing chapter, this chapter that speaks of of your return to earth, of the armies of the world making one final stand, attempting to withstand you, the omnipotent one, the all-powerful one. And we realize that they can't do it. They can't hold on. They can't make it through. And God, you've not only talked to us about that, but you've talked to us about the fact that we belong to one kingdom or the other. And God, maybe today we're members of the wrong kingdom. Maybe we belong to the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom whose future is is destruction and despair and and hopelessness. And today, God, we we can change our allegiance. We can sign up for the other kingdom today, the kingdom of light, the kingdom that that brings strength and joy and salvation. And God, as we've looked at your word, we realize there's one kingdom that is not going to make it. There's one kingdom that is not going to endure forever, and it's that kingdom that is opposed to you. But those who side with you, God, truly will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. And God, that's what we long for and what we look for. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed for just one more moment today. You may be sitting here right now, and you don't belong to God's kingdom. And as we talked about the future, you're thinking, oh, I'm not so sure about that. That lake of fire thing, I'm not so sure about that. I, I don't know if I believe all of that. You know, whether you believe it or not, it's true. And just because you don't believe something doesn't negate it, doesn't make it untrue, doesn't make it unreal. And when you think in those terms, when you think, okay, you know, there's, there's eternity, whether I serve God and open my life to him or not, I'm still going to live forever. And that's, that's exactly it. God, when God created mankind, he breathed into mankind the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Okay? The only creature that God created that has a living soul, the only one that God created that lives forever. And so the question isn't, whether or not you're going to have eternal life. The question is, what's going to be the quality of that eternal life? Is it going to be eternal punishment and eternal separation, or is it going to be eternal joy and eternal acceptance? Now, if you're part of the temporary kingdom, that kingdom's going to pass away. And you need to, you need to bail off of that ship before it sinks. And God is thrown you the life preserver today. He's thrown you the lifeboat today and said, here's the way out of it. Just get in it. And you may say, well, you know, I, I just, I don't have all the answers. That's okay. If you have enough faith to put your faith in Christ, if you have enough to say today, you know, God, I, I believe in you. That's enough to be saved. The Bible talks about to every man is given the measure of faith. You have enough faith to, to believe. You may say, well, but I have so many doubts. That's okay. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's big enough to take care of the doubts. And he will. One by one, he'll take care of every one of those doubts. Every one of those questions you have, he'll answer them one by one. You just give him some time. So you're not going to have all the answers. You're not going to be totally convinced of everything. But if you're willing to say, God, I'm opening my life to you today. God is willing to come in. 
And you may not even know how to begin this conversation with God, so let me help you with the conversation today. I just want you to repeat these words after me. I want you to say them out loud. And the reason I want you to say them out loud is because we believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth, the Bible says, and we are saved. And it's important that we confess it with our mouth today. So I want you to repeat these words after me. I want you to say them out loud. And to make that real easy, we're just all going to say it together. So we can all pray this prayer together. So say these words with me today. Heavenly Father, I want to be part of your kingdom. And I want to have eternal life. And God, I may not understand everything. And I may still have some doubts even now. But I believe in you. And I believe in your son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth and died for me. And today, Heavenly Father, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And I ask you to accept me as your child. In Jesus' name, amen. And let me just say one more thing. Get ready because the adventure just began. You prayed that prayer. You meant that prayer. Your adventure has just begun. God is going to be involved in your lives in your life like you have never seen God involved in your life before. He's going to speak to you. He's going to reveal things to you. He's going to show you things because when you opened your life to him, he didn't say, eh, I don't know if I want to be involved there or not. He said, I've been waiting a long time for you to let me get involved in your life, and boom, here I am, okay? There he is, right there. And not only that, your future's looking pretty bright, okay? Your future's looking really good. Let's stand together. Ha, 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 ha.